So as many of you may know, my wife Heather and I, we have four kids. Uh, the oldest is 16. The youngest is three. Because we're cool, you know, like we're, we're, we're really, really smart and, and stuff like that. So, so we have four kids, 16 to three. And, and as you would imagine, each of these, each of our kids are, are all unique. And, and they all come with, with, with different personalities and different talents and, and different hobbies and different interests. But, but as different as all kids are, they all did some pretty similar things whenever they were really young. For example, every single one of my kids, at some point in their toddler years, tried to put something in an electrical socket. All of them. We're not the brightest bunch in the Turner household, but, but, but we have a shockingly good time together. That was bad, I'm sorry. But, but it didn't matter. Um, not only did they all try to put something in the electrical socket, also at, at, at times, each of our kids, whether Heather was cooking or whether I was cooking or, or by the stove and the stove was on, every one of our kids made their way towards the stove and, and, and attempted in some way to touch the hot stove. But it didn't stop there either because every single one of our kids at some point in time has walked out of Target and just thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep going right into the middle of the parking lot, regardless of if any cars are coming or not. And I'm guessing that many of you in here who are parents can probably relate to some of these situations. And, and whenever you face this with your own children, I don't know how you have responded to your kids, but I can tell you how I've responded. All because of the fantastic, incredible, and loving father that I am. You guys missed the joke earlier, now you laugh at that. I see how it is. I have kept my children from putting a fork into an electrical outlet. All because I love my kids, I have kept them from grabbing onto a hot stove. And all because I love my kids, I have kept them from walking out into the middle of a busy parking lot. And maybe you're sitting there and you're wondering, well, Andy, if that's what your children really wanted to do, or if that's what your kids really thought they needed to do to be happy then why did you stop them? Why didn't you just let them put something into the electrical socket? Why didn't you let them grab the hot stove? Why didn't you let them walk into the parking lot? And all of those are good questions. But you know the answer, don't you? It's kind of a silly example, I guess, whenever you really get down to this. But the reason I, I stop my kids from doing those things is because I, I love my kids right? I, I, want to, I, I don't want to stand by as they make decisions that I know will hurt them. As a father, I want to protect my children. I want to be honest with my kids to make sure that they understand the consequences of their actions. And I believe no matter the age of our children, no matter how old they get, these are all the things 
we want to do for them for one very simple reason. Because we love them. But I must admit, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to love our children in these ways whenever they're toddlers. But it's a different story whenever they're 13, right? It's a different story whenever they're 18, right? It's a different story whenever they're 25. It's a different story whenever they're, they're 40, or it's a different story whenever you just have somebody in your life that you love like they are your own child, but you don't have the relational authority of them being your child. And I know that the way that we, we love depends, you know, it, it's different depending on the relationship. I know that the way that we love is different depending on the situation. But I also believe that the same principles that, that we use whenever we are talking about a parent loving a toddler, those principles still apply Regardless of the situation or the relationship, a big question in our world today is this, what is love? And man, our, our world has come up with all kinds of answers to try and define what, what, what love is, you know, like what does love look like and, and, and how do you love? And I am so thankful that as Jesus followers today, we don't have to try and come up with the answer to that question on our own, but... But instead, we can see what love is by, by opening up Scripture. Not only can we see what love is, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul tells us what love is, but he also tells us what love does. And this is how he, he defines it. What is love? The Apostle Paul would say, well, love is patient, kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, love keeps no of wrong. Verse 6: Love does not fight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. But but what does love do? Well, he continues in verse 7. He says, Love always protects, always trusts, and always perseveres. This morning, we're, we're closing out our, sin, our, our series, or we're finishing up our series entitled The Same, the Same God, to where through, for the last four weeks, we've just been looking at this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and more specifically, we've just been looking at the fourth chapter of this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, the churches in and around Ephesus, and, and, and as we talked about throughout this series, whenever the Apostle Paul wrote this, he, he broke the letter into two sections very, very intentionally. You have chapters one through three, which are, are all about you know, what God has done and, and the power of the gospel message and the way that all people are now invited to be part of God's family. It's not just for the Jewish people, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus. All people are now invited to be part of God's family. So the first three chapters are, here's what God has done. But then beginning in chapter 4, where we've been for the last month, and, and on in chapters 5 and 6, he, he says, because of what God has done, now this is what you as Jesus followers must do. This is how you must respond. And, the, and, and to begin the second part of this letter in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul has really focused on, 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 on unity and, and the reasons that unity are so important for church. He's talked about how we are one people who are unified as one body, that there is one spirit and, and that we are called to one hope, that there is one Lord and there is one faith and there is one baptism and there is one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. And, 
And then he's gone on and he's talked about the importance of, of this unified body working together, saying that, that our minds must be transformed, that our, our minds must be different, that, that our minds must be made new, that, that we cannot think about the world, and we cannot see the world, and we cannot live in the world as those who do not follow Jesus, that, that we have been called to a different kind of life where the old is gone and the new is come. Last, last week, we hit on, on these two verses where where Paul says, beginning in verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 4, he says, You were taught with regard to your former life, this life that you no longer even live, this life that, 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 that is in your past, but you were, you were taught with regard to your former life to put off your old self. And don't just take off your old self and hang it in a closet so that way it's handy for a rainy day, but take off your old self and literally go throw it in a trash barrel and burn it because you don't want to even be tempted by it anymore. He says, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and then to be made new in the attitude of your minds and the way that you think, and, and to put on the new self created in true, in true righteousness and holiness. And today we're going to see it where the Apostle Paul continues on with this thought and what it looks like to be part of a unified body who, who is removed their former way of life in order to live the life that Jesus desires for them to live. And, and as we look at the Apostle Paul's words today, in many ways we're going to see that, that he's teaching them in a very, very practical sense what love is and what love does. And so let's, let's pick it up here in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. If you have a Bible, feel free to open up there, and we're going to go through the rest of the chapter, and then just a tiny, tiny little he says, therefore, and anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, you must ask the question, what is therefore, therefore? It's always saying the, the previous section together. So this idea of, of old and, being, and putting on the new, trying to say why that's important and what that looks like. He says, therefore, each of you must put off and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of the body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. In verse 28, he, he continues to say, and, and anyone who has been stealing, this is a big thing, we'll hit on this. Anyone who has been stealing must no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own that they may have something to share. Historians say that that stealing was a very, very common practice in the first century in Asia Minor. But the Apostle Paul, he continues to tell the church that they must break away from the societal norms that do not align with the life that, that Christ has called them to live. And I believe with everything I have that if the Apostle Paul was standing on this stage today, a big, big chunk of his message would be, you must break away from the societal norms that do not align with the life that Christ has called you to live. He's, he's letting the church know that, that while this sin may have been justifiable in their own minds and, and, and a justifiable part of their lives prior to coming into a relationship with Christ, Paul reminds them that they have now taken off the old and that they have put on the new and that it no longer has any place and their lives, he continues in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only holding others up 
their needs, that, that it may benefit those who listen. And, and verse 30 is such a, a, a powerful and a humbling and a sobering verse. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's the second time in the letter of Ephesians that the Apostle Paul has talked about, has talked about the seal of the Holy Spirit. He, he, he's talked about, uh, or, uh, he talks about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. He talked about it in Ephesians chapter 1, to where he says that the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. It's the Holy Spirit's what causes God to recognize you as, as his own. But this idea of, of do not grieve the Holy Spirit is, is, like I said, just such a sobering, sobering thought. But we see throughout the New Testament that the that the Holy Spirit can be lied to in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. We see that the Holy Spirit can be offended throughout the New Testament. That he can be dishonored, that he can be disobeyed. In other words, anything that is inconsistent with the Holy Spirit's nature grieves the Holy Spirit. So Paul says to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. To be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Then we're going to read the first couple of verses in chapter 5, because the Apostle Paul really sums up what he was talking about there towards the end of chapter 4. Again, you see that word, therefore. Therefore, follow God's example as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what Paul's doing is he's saying, this is what it looks like to take off the old and to put on the new. And whenever you look at the Apostle Paul's words here, you, you notice that there are seven motivations for ethics. And, and the first three have to deal with, with community and, and, and how we relate to one another. And, and the last three have to do with, with treating others as God in Christ has treated us. But, but then this middle one, and I don't think this is an accident, the, the middle one is all about do not grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul urges us to avoid everything that displeases God. And, and the focus of this passage that we just read is on the responsibility of the believers through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to act or, or to be transformed in, in the way that we live our lives, especially, especially as we pri prioritize being is always for good. I can tell you that, that the strongest relationships that I have today in this world are the most truthful and honest relationships that I have today in this world. Truth is vital. It is so important for building community. Another thing that the Apostle Paul would want us to know is that, is that lying is usually motivated. The reason why we need to stay away from it, lying is usually motivated by selfish ambitions or self-defense or insecurity. And, 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 and on top of that, lying almost always leads to more lying. You, you, you have to tell another lie to cover the previous lie, and eventually you just find yourself down in the bottom of this deep, dark pit of despair, which is another reason why being honest and truthful is so important. And then on top of all this, and I mean, this might be all that I need to say on this entire section, but we see throughout Scripture that Satan is a liar, that he is a deceiver. And we also see that God hates lying. So, so when you tell the truth, you are imitating your father in heaven. But when you, you tell a lie, you are imitating the father of lies, the devil. So Paul would tell us that we are loving well when we love with truth. You love 
others well when you are honest with them and you tell them the truth. You love God well when you are honest with God and you tell him the truth. And listen, you love yourself well when you are honest with yourself and tell yourself the truth. The next thing that the Apostle Paul tells us is that love does not hold on to anger. Love does not hold on to anger. He says, in your anger, do not sin. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. He also says to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander and every form of malice. And there is some really, really important teaching that is needed around this topic. And maybe sometime we'll come back and just kind of camp out with this topic. But, 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 but the truth is, is that as Christians, we will get angry. We will get angry at situations. We will get angry at other people. We will get angry about injustice. And the list could go on and on and on. And the Apostle Paul is not saying, do not get angry. But instead, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, do not stay angry. A lot of people like to look at this text and try to use it to to justify what they would consider a righteous anger or a a righteous indignation. And and I'm not convinced that that's a proper interpretation of this text to begin with. But but even if it is, Paul, Paul is saying no matter how righteous or how good your anger is, it cannot stay. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he put it this way in James chapter 1, verse 20. He says that human anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. So yes, we will become angry. We can see that even Jesus got angry. But as you look at the anger of Jesus, which is probably the clearest picture of righteous indignation, the anger of Jesus was always directed in a very, very specific direction. The anger of Jesus was always directed at religious people who were using their religion to hurt other people. That's the picture of righteous indignation that we get. That's the reason that Jesus would go and clear out the table or clear out the temple and flip over flip over tables. Jesus got angry. Just like we get angry. But we cannot stay angry because when you do Paul says that you give the devil a foothold in your life you give him a seat at your table you give him a place in your heart where you just invite him in to come in and play and to wreak havoc someone was once quoted as saying you when you go to bed angry you go to bed with the devil if we do not proactively attack ridding ourselves of anger no matter how righteous we believe that anger might be we will find ourselves becoming more bitter more jaded and more enraged. So, so yes, get angry, but don't let it stay. The next thing that Paul says is that love is found in our words. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So in other words, in place of, of, of correct or corrupt talk, Paul says to, to use well-chosen speech. To speak constructive words that are helpful in in building others up. Speak encouraging words. Speak grace-filled words that are beneficial to the people that we are speaking to. This word, unwholesome, in in other translations, it's translated as as, as foul language or or corrupt language. And and in the New Testament, it's generally used as a picture for for, for rotten, like the corrupt and the foul is used for a picture of, of rotten fruit. Or rotten fish. And in that same vein, corrupt talk or 
or unwholesome talk. It does not nourish you, and it does not nourish the one to whom you are speaking. Instead, unwholesome talk makes you sick. And we see that, that corrupt talk comes from a, a corrupt talk comes from a corrupt heart. Jesus put it this way, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're somebody who just kind of flies off the handle and you have all kinds of fun things and colorful things that come out of your mouth, you may need to take a look deep inside your heart. Because when that happens, your heart is showing. And it's foul. It's corrupt. It's unwholesome. So watch your speech and make Make it speak. Watch your mouth and make it speak what is true. Use it to build, not to destroy. The next thing that the Apostle Paul tells us is that love is forgiving. And I know that this is a big one. This is a hard one for so, so many of us. But, but as believers, our forgiveness is grounded in God's forgiveness of us through Christ. And here's the thing. When our forgiveness is grounded in the forgiveness that God has given us, it eliminates every single loophole that we could ever have to not forgive. And like I said, I know that this is, is, is not easy. It's a difficult thing to do. I know that oftentimes forgiveness is a process. And on top of that, I know oftentimes forgiveness is a messy process. But I also know that we cannot live the life that Jesus desires for us to live if we are unwilling to forgive. Yet as Christians, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that we're not any better at this whole forgiveness thing than those who don't claim to follow Jesus. Like there's times whenever we'll say that, that yes, we've forgiven, but then we kind of just put the, the offense in our back pocket and hold on to it for an appropriate time. Maybe we live too much like the old country song that says that, that I've buried the hatchet, but I've left the handle sticking out. I believe that that might describe us more than what we want to admit, but we must remember that forgiveness is not the absence of accountability, but forgiveness is the refusal to allow past wrongs to destroy present opportunities. Forgiveness is the rejection of bitterness and malice and revenge. Forgiveness is the refusal to, to stay angry. And so Paul, he said to, to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And man, church, if we could just get this right, if, if, if we would just practice this, we, we should be a people, as Jesus followers who have been forgiven by Christ, we should be a people who are known for our kindness and our forgiveness all based on the depths of the kindness and the forgiveness that God through Christ has shown, has shown us. But here's the last thing that I want to leave with you for this series. Last thing I want to leave with you today, it's this, that love follows the example of Jesus. Love follows the example of Jesus. I love how Paul ties all this together. He says to follow God's example to which maybe we step back and it's like, how am I supposed to follow God's example? The all-powerful God, that's not me. The all-knowing God, that's not me. 
the always present God. That's not me. How am I supposed to follow God's example? He says, therefore, as dearly loved children, you follow God's example when you walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, we follow God's example by following the example of Jesus. So, how do we follow the example of Jesus? I believe we can start by, by simply telling the truth and being honest. By being honest with God, by being honor, honest with ourselves, and, and being honest with others. I believe that we can follow the example of Jesus by by whenever we do get angry and, and, and whenever our anger is directed in the right places that we refuse to allow anger to, to stay around. I believe we can follow the example of Jesus when we use our words in a positive way to, to, to build others up, to, to encourage others as opposed to trying to tear them down. And I believe that we can follow the example of Jesus whenever we forgive others when they sin against us just as God and Christ has forgiven us. But come on, church, you know that it's so much more than that, right? You know there's so much more to it that we can, we, we, we can follow the example of Jesus that, that whenever we are people who do not look to be served, but we are people who look to serve, that, that we follow the example of Jesus when when we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, we consider others better than ourselves. We that we can follow the examples of Jesus whenever we are people of compassion and empathy, willing to mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate. That we follow the example of Jesus when we make time, intentional time, to spend with our Father in heaven, even in the hectic times of our schedule and our life. When we stop to take a moment to breathe and to realize that God is with us. We follow the example of Jesus when we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We follow the example of Jesus when we hold others accountable in love and with gentleness whenever we, when, when, when we confront those who claim to follow Jesus but yet live nothing like him. We follow the example of Jesus when we are people that others can come to to find peace and healing and hope, not because we possess those things in and of ourselves, but because we are connected to the one who does. We can follow the example of Jesus when we teach others what it looks like to live the life that Jesus desires for them to live. We can follow the example of Jesus whenever we pray for and long for the salvation of those who are living this life deceived by the lies of this world. We can follow the example of Jesus when we are generous with our time and with our gifts and with our, our, our possessions and, and, and what we have, knowing that it all belongs to God and that we've just been called to be good stewards of it. We can follow the example of Jesus when we are encouragers, whenever we are a light in the darkness, whenever we take off the old and put on the new because of who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf in doing something that we could have never have accomplished apart from him. Knowing that we can stand firmly on the foundation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Knowing that we have been called and commissioned and equipped to, hate, to, to take the hope of Jesus into a lost and a dark and a broken world that is in desperate, desperate, desperate need of him. All because of the work of this gospel. 
that God has done on our behalf. All because of what God has done, a response is demanded from us. A response is demanded from us who claim to be followers of Jesus. And this is all the Apostle Paul has been trying to communicate through this entire chapter. So may we follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Will you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, I thank you for today. And Holy Spirit, I am just so grateful that you are here. <laughs> I just gained so much confidence from the fact that you are here because a lot of words were just spoken. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will allow those words to land on each and every individual heart in the way that they need. <laughs> Father, I pray today that you will help us to live the life that you desire for us to live, that you will help us to be honest with ourselves in acknowledging and in recognizing that, man, we're missing it here. I pray that you will humble us enough that we will be willing to respond to the fact that maybe we are not living the life that you desire for us to live. That we will be humble enough to repent of that and that we will be humble enough to turn around and begin to live in the way that you've called us to live. You have done so, so much on our behalf and you have left the greatest example that we could have ever asked for. So help us to be a light in, the, in this dark world, to, to love this world as you love this world to love each other as you love us, whenever it's easy and whenever it's not, with honesty and with truth and with our words and in forgiveness and in all that we do. Please, Jesus, we need you. We are so, so desperate for you. In your name we pray, amen.